0: Hello, and welcome to episode 96 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Gabe Gums. Games has a deep rooted passion for technology, information security, and problem solving. As Chief Innovation Officer at Spirion, a leader in rapid identification and protection of sensitive data, he's channeling that passion to make the digital world a safer place. Wielding a unique mix of technical vision, marketing, and business acumen, Gabe is shaping the future of data security and protecting the sensitive personal data of customers, colleagues, and communities around the world. Despite having held a range of leadership positions in security technology, including VP of Product Strategy at StealthBits and Director of Research and Products at White Hat Security, Gabe considers his most valuable experience to be the time he spends on the ground as a security practitioner. Thanks to his intimate understanding of the real issues security professionals face on the front lines, he's able to identify the core of the problem and create innovative solutions that push data security technology forward. In this episode, we discuss his early starts with the 2600 meetups, privacy versus security, speaking to executives in their language, cloud security, information security skills shortages, training legal teams for cyber how to get started in cybersecurity, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Gabe, thanks for joining me in Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? Doing well. And uh, you know what? One thing I did not ask before we hit record, but I think I know where you are, but you're, you're based out in New York?
1: Oh, good question. So I have been based out of New York for quite some time. Um, I still make my way back and forth there, but I've been spending a lot of my time down in the the southeast of the country where my current employer is headquartered.
0: Nice. And uh, how did you get into what we kind of call cybersecurity?
1: Well, that story leads us right back to New York again. So. And if you rewind uh more than a few moons ago at this point, I always kind of involved in in technology and, and computers early on. And so, you know, joined my my local uh lug group, in fact, NY lug, which still around in Kigan, um, New York's Linux user group. Mm-hmm. And from there I I started meeting some folks that were also in the cybersecurity world as well, too. And you may remember, for those of you that do remember or are still around some of some of those, the uh the The old alt twenty six hundred group was still meeting kind of regularly, although there's still meetings going on, etc. And that was my first informal introduction into security, if you would. And uh, and from there, I began, you know, interacting in the community and kind of building up my own knowledge base and just tinkering with things. and And it expanded from there to to following around the old loft crew and some of their shenanigans that, that they would, uh, that they would share throughout the community online. And those folks were all up in the Northeast. So it was, it was a really, really good place, at least for someone like me to, to kind of get indoctrinated into InfoSec. This is, this is well before, you know, we had a B-sides and things of that nature. Um, but from there, it led to my first, first foray into the DEF CON world. And this, this too was even pre-Black Hat and, uh, and then I landed my first actual cybersecurity gig from a networking gig um, in the let's see late '90s, right? Late '90s, so like '99,
0: maybe maybe
1: 2000, somewhere in there. Um, so yeah, showing my age, but
0: yeah. an
1: old security head, if you would.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny, you know. I, I it'd be hard for me to tell my daughter who's now nine, you know. Yeah, you know, it just started out, as you said, with 2600 payphones and bulletin boards and. Yeah. Trying to even explain that to her now, it's just it's beyond them. And it, you've definitely seen a lot of things obviously evolve. But what are, what are some of the problems that you have seen over the past twenty plus years that still exist today?
1: Problems that it still exist. Well, it, depending on who you ask, I think you might have folks that will point to the quote unquote human problem, which I don't know if I love the word problem, but it certainly is. It certainly is the, the the entry point for a lot of of. Uh of misdeeds, if you would. And then some of those misdeeds are not even you know, malicious. Some of them are just unintentional. But if you rewind 20 years ago to someone clicking on a I love you virus email, um, what you had was someone just kind of, you know, mishandling uh, information at that point, right? And and phishing emails are still a problem today. Oh, that wasn't a phishing email. It was just, you know, malware delivered via email. We still have a serious, we still have a serious problem. I'm kind of at the, uh, again, I love the word problem, but at the user um, end of it, the aspect of it. And in my opinion, and now I'm going to use the word problem, the problem isn't the user. The problem really isn't in a lot of the technology. I don't know that we're still building and solving for problems that makes it so that the end users don't have to be security professionals. And now we live in a world where those users are now handling personal data of, of individuals. And so now we need them to be privacy experts on top of security professionals. Well, that's not going to
0: yeah, I almost kind of quite it, – a it, it, good point is that, you know, it's like when I get in my car, I just expect the airbags to work. I don't need to know how they work. Um, I'm not <laughs> expecting to be trained on it once a year to make sure they deploy correctly, that if I hit a, something the wrong way or somebody hits me, that they must go off correctly. It seems to be that we still put a lot of the onus on the user to secure themselves, which, you know, you want awareness, but that seems to be a little asymmetric.
1: And I don't think anyone can answer the question for me, why we do that? Why do we do that? Why, why do we make it their responsibility to understand these things? And I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. We can't evolve technology a little bit more to assist with that problem, if not a lot more to assist with that problem. And you know, the, the brain immediately goes to things like like AI and, and ML, et cetera. But maybe, maybe that's part of the problem, too, is making it too complex. Maybe some of these... Challenges need to be addressed a little bit more simplistically, and the words innovation and some simplicity, in my opinion, are inextricably linked. But I, I feel like there's still a lot of work to do to pry those two apart in the industry at large.
0: Well, a lot of it too. You know, it seems to be. You know, we, we still talk about a lot of things in in this. You know, we use cybersecurity; it's it's a word, but it's a lot of risk management. And when you get to the board level, there they they understand that there's a cybersecurity. You know, quote unquote problem, but in their world, it's finances and risk. So, is it part of our own problem too, where we're we're still not communicating to the right decision makers in the executives about what we're trying to do? Uh, preach, Absolutely. yeah. It was, it was a softball. <laughs> we call that in podcasting? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, look, we 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 went from demonstrating or or articulating risk in terms of you know high, medium, lows to CVE scores, like that that means nothing. That means absolutely nothing to my board. The ability to quantify risk in real terms is still sorely lacking in the industry as well. There's been been no two ways about it, some gains in in this area, right? I can point to things like the FAIR methodology and Jack Jones and folks like that 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 have come up with different ways of actually quantifying risk in dollars. But one can argue that even those still have a ways to go and again, now that you know, we have a much stricter privacy lens on top of the data security lens, because one can't have privacy without data security, but you can have data security without privacy. I don't know of any really good way that uh, that folks are articulating privacy risk in, in a quantifiable manner at the board level. Um, there's some ways that, that, that it can be expressed uh, at a very high level but I don't know if it's still at the place where we can make informed business decisions. And so we will make our best case business decisions based on what information we have. So yeah, no, preach, preach all the way, man. I'm, I am sitting in the pew front row, waving my pamphlet with you on that one.
0: It's, I mean, is it, it, but it seems to be, there's, it's, you know, there's always this talk about how we, how we do do this and, In ways that, you know, it's either the carrot or the stick kind of thing. And and with boards, sometimes you you don't know which you want to use. But, you know, one of the things that I I felt helpful, and I'm curious on your perspective on it, is kind of holding them a little bit more accountable, holding their feet to the fire to say, hey, look, you know, as the security advisor with, inside this organization, here's the risk I've identified, but you're signing off on it. And it seems still too often that many organizations want to use that you know, director of security, CISO, or some role to say, well, you, you know, you're going to be the scapegoat for it. We're not going to sign off on the risk. That's all you. And it's like, eh, no, the job of that person in my mind is to identify the risk and make the business help be held accountable.
1: Yep, hundred percent. And so now, follow the following scenario. You now have you you now have uh, a you now have a chief information security officer um, who is responsible for managing and maintaining the data security systems that are also going to ensure the privacy of information. Is that person supposed to sign off on the privacy risk associated with sharing that data? the answer is probably no, right? Like that, that person didn't even make the decision to share the data. That, I'm sure that, that came from elsewhere in the business, not the, the security officer. They may have weighed in on the risk associated with sharing it, right? Um, from a security standpoint, but the actual business risk of exposing that data to third parties. Yeah, I wouldn't be signing off on that if I were a CISO.
0: Well, it, it, you know, you up a good point. We've, we've said it, we kind of touched on it a couple times as so far is, you know, the difference between privacy and security. It seems to me that, at least they understand privacy a little bit more. Maybe they've they've either had some touch points with it. Security is a little bit more esoteric, but at least what you know. How would you frame to them, or really to anybody, you know, the difference between privacy and security?
1: Hmm. I think to to. Answer the question you didn't ask first, and then I'll ask the question you did ask. <laughs> <Fair enough>. <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah, which is, I, I think the reason why privacy does maybe come a little bit more natural to most is a couple of things. The first is um, the privacy industry hasn't spent decades... Um, purporting that is it is some esoteric dark arts that no one else has access to you know I'm, i'm sorry to my infosec brethren but it but we've been guilty of that over the years there's no two ways about it um but the second is exactly what you you stated which is i think privacy comes a little bit more natural to us because we understand inherently um our own privacy right like Closing our windows, shutting our doors, um, sharing our information with other people, versus what it might mean to, you know, inspect an email carefully for for malicious links. So so there's that. And so now, what's the difference? Well, so again, I mentioned you one cannot have privacy without security, but you certainly can have security without privacy. The primary difference is that. Security is inherently focused on the protection of data, right? It is it is the protection of data from risk associated with unauthorized access to that data. That's where security lives, where privacy deals with the risk associated with authorize access to data. I have intentionally shared that information for the purpose of, of, of processing somehow using it. Maybe that is I've signed up for a service or maybe I've, I've bought something from you. And so you now have, you have my credit card number, my home address, my my phone number, so that you can deliver those services to me. So you have to use that information. Right. And so the privacy aspect of it is concerned with the authorized use of information and the risk associated with it versus the security risk, which arise from unauthorized access to data.
0: Makes sense. And it seems to be that, you know, with, I think it's well, I guess I'm trying to understand, too, you know, at least from from my perspective, is, is, is it getting easier in a certain sense where you know, when you get some of the cloud technologies, some of that security gets built in, um, not not everything, um, but does it make the focus on data privacy maybe an easier task when you're not necessarily having to worry about, secu- you know, the physical security of a data center per se, um, because it's a, you know, microservice or a cloud instance?
1: Mm-hmm. It's easier in so much that, it is being dictated to us. And sometimes that's what it takes to make things easier. And what I mean by that is we now have regulations like CCPA and GDPR that explicitly state here are the guidelines to protecting the privacy of a customer's data versus we have no such regulations um, that certainly not, not that blanket cover, um, all security you, we, we have some that are explicitly focused like NYCR 500 at the banking industry and you know we've got PCI explicitly focused on the on the credit card industry but there's no big blanket you know data security kind of regulation and I don't love regulation as the answer but it does at least make it easier for those that that don't know where to start to at least point to and say okay I know bottom line I have to do these 10 things I before I do anything else, these 10 things have been dictated for me. Um, so it's easier from that perspective. But is it easier? I actually think it, from a technology perspective, it's harder because of, of you know, again, how, how we define. And when I say we, that definition that I gave is really, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's derived from, from NIST's own definition of it. And, and, and I think the widely accepted definition of it. And, uh, and so it's difficult in so much that those privacy risks are inherently tied to authorize access. And so now we have to be able to use this data and share it um, while still protecting the data subject. So that that makes it a lot easier. With security, you can just keep layering restrictions until you know, till users get upset and or the data grinds to a halt and then we can use it. You can't do that with privacy. Though. That data has to be used. It has to be processed. That's why you collected it in the first place.
0: Is, you know, you know and we still see obviously you know it's like uh, the verizon data breach report comes out year after year and it's like wow look stolen credentials yet again seem to be the you know means and the methods that irrespective of the technology over you know decades it's it's been the challenge that you know we we secure a lot of that data privacy with a single set of credentials are, are we getting better at that i mean obviously multi-factors all over. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to avoid it now. But are, are, are we implementing it right, and it's, it's still being messaged to the user that hey, this is beneficial.
1: Well, you 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 threw out there some some things a few minutes ago, like. Microservices and that type of architecture; those things just made it a hell of a lot harder. Yeah. Um, you didn't even touch on things like, uh, you know, like server- serverless code, right? Um, so you, you've got serverless code, you've got, you've got containers, you've got users, you've got services, you've got applications, and all of those elements have access to data, and all of those elements need to have access to data. You cannot simply apply single sign-on to a you know, again, to a bit of headless code and to a, a container that needs access to an S3 bucket. Um, you, you can apply those things to me, the user, but the number of, of, of entities that are accessing data has grown so exponentially, especially in the cloud, that we have made that challenge more difficult. Um, it, is, it, it is not to say that we've done so, you know, kind of not being being negligent of the problem, our, our IT scenarios, our IT platforms, our, our technologies have always outpaced our security controls and they likely will forever. Uh, A large part of IT, a large part of that is the IT driving the business forward versus security pulling the business forward. Um, and so, you know, I don't think it's gotten easier and I don't think like single sign on have gotten easier. And, and I, and I don't know that, uh, that's simply looking at that as as an applicable control to like the scenario I just gave you. You know, you've got a web application, and and behind it you've got multiple microservices and, and containers, and and it's it's accessing and putting information in S three bucket. No, I think that problem's worse.
0: Yeah. I, you know, obviously you see a lot of the stuff with unsecured API keys um, and that becomes another kind of esoteric thing where people are like, oh wait, so it's not just a username and password. Well, no. And here's how you have to secure it. It's completely different than when you log in, you know, it's running as a service and it's, I think getting, you know, so it feels like we kind of get our feet under us a little bit and then we go, oh shift. And let's, let's move over to cloud or some other platform that dynamically <laughs> changes under us.
1: Right, three steps forward, two steps back. For a minute there in the industry, I was like, "Wait, are there even API keys? Maybe, maybe it's only an RFC spec for it, and they don't actually exist." Well, <laughs> how much you're. of that
0: then comes down to you know to training? I mean, one of the big things that we talk about, and you know, we always see report after year to year is, "Hey, we just don't have enough skills or people or headcounts." But you know, what what is the reality of that from your perspective?
1: Oh, uh, you're taking me, you're you're taking me right back to religion again. Because I <laughs> I personally have a very, very visceral reaction to, to the statement that we don't have enough bodies in security. Because again, I blame the technology. Now maybe that's my inner technologist, right? Maybe that's because my 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 existence is to drive and power innovation in in security. And I blame the technology. Yes, there are certain areas where we have a shortage of human beings. I, I agree with that by and large. But I think that the technologies and that we've created and the controls we've created, ha- we, we've created them in such a way that it has made it difficult for us to either attract, retain, and or and or have enough folks that can monitor and access these things, I think the advancements in SOAR technologies have helped, right? Because at the scale we're moving, orchestration automation is mandatory. So I think that's a really good first step in the right direction. But again, I'm, I, I got to blame the technologies here. It's not simply that we don't have enough bodies; it's, it's that we we don't have we don't have an experience throughout the 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 information security control life cycle that allows us to scale the bodies we do have.
0: Yeah, it's like you know we 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 still fall back on those basics of we don't know what we have or who have access to it. You can throw as many bodies as you want at that problem, but it's right. not going to solve it. So well, you know, how do we solve this? You know, where where does the problem lie with just controlling some of these basics again, asset inventory? You're you again these kind of foundational things. It just seems like we can't get up that hill.
1: Well, you, you nailed the first one, right? Asset inventory. And when we think about asset inventory, we need to expand that thinking from from just physical assets. They're certainly not just servers and laptops anymore, but data as an asset. And so, our data asset inventories. Where is all of that data? So, I mentioned, for example, you know, you may have uh, an S three bucket that has a bunch of sensitive data inside of it. Great. Where is it? Find that find that bucket for me first, tell me what the sensitive data is, and then you can work your backwards and then look at, okay, here's what does have access to that data. And so that for me still remains a critical first step is an understanding where all of that data is. Hmm.
0: It's It's, yeah, I think again, and it's, it's, Something that people can relate to a little bit more, you know, the data. But I tell you what what the data is, like, hey, look, you know, here's all your word documents and email. Okay, I know what that is. When I say, you know, here's an S3 bucket, you're going to get a blank stare from from most people. So it's it seems to make it a little bit more relatable when we put it in the the you know a data context as opposed to just physical servers. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, and then you know, minus just the physical servers, you have all of the virtual environments that we have and, and, and all the many things we have exposed to the internet too, right? So but before we went live in the show, we were talking about some some of the folks uh, that, uh, you know, I, I kind of been in the industry around and some of my friends. So completely not not, not associated with, with, with the individual, with the, the business in particular, but like you look at the work that like Jeremiah Grossman's doing out there in the industry with Bit Discovery. Mm-hmm. He's still fighting the asset inventory fight, right? Like, just tell me where my 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 web servers
0: are. No, again, web servers don't count. No, we don't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, he and I talked about that one time. It's just like exactly they're Even assets. They're assets.
1: And did I mention they're all connecting back to those S three buckets where all of that sensitive data hangs out? Right. Like, these are these are basic problems for sure.
0: Yeah. Just even doing, you know, simple DNS recon and say, Hey, you know, when you, you talk to a client and it's always that, Oh no, we have, we have a good asset inventory. I was like, cause, cause I'm, I just run DNS Stumpster and you have all these a record lookups to uh, all these servers. What are they doing? Oh yeah. We don't know. no
1: clue And, and what do they have access to? I don't know. Is there, data I don't know. Maybe what
0: else? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, what, what is some of your day to day now? So what are you doing at Sp- Spirion? And what, what is your, your kind of role entail?
1: Yeah, so uh, I am, uh, I sit at the head of our product strategy, if you would, uh, I'm I'm our chief innovation officer. And so my day to day is in uh, kind of figuring out, if you would, understanding what those problems are, and how we bring differentiated solutions to market to solve those problems. And, and as I've mentioned, multiple times, you know, during this conversation, a large part of that for me, is an understanding how I can do that in such a way that makes it accessible to those that are gonna use it, but it's solving the real underlining problems of us. So I spent a lot of my day just understanding the problem. I spent a lot of time in problem space, if you would, and in talking to people that are experiencing the problems and, and getting getting on the ground floor with those problems. And then I spend a lot of time with with my internal teams. I've got a research team and I've got some data scientists around me and so forth. That you know we go off and and we we we, we try to understand how we can best tackle these problems and we turn those into ideas that the business then builds uh, and, and brings those. Those technologies to market.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I kind of use the cliche all the time, even with my current team. Of you know, when when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And you really have to kind of step back and say, okay, we're let's let's not just try to shove a whether it's a product or a, a professional service solution to the problem. We have to really understand it and really understand. Okay, well, where's point A? Where's point B? What are we trying to accomplish? There seems to be still a resistance in the industry to do that at times, where it's like uh, we just just sell, just shell the sell the widget and be quiet.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think they don't spend enough time in problem space, right? They, I think you find a lot of a lot of solutions have spent just enough time in problem space to to kind of address maybe some sliver of it, and and then uh, and then try to, to your point, you know, use that hammer against everything it sees. And you you've just got to spend way more time understanding the problem if you're going to actually build solutions to address it.
0: And, you know we talked you know early on in this conversation about some of the problems you saw back in the day but what are you know what are some of the newer problems that you're seeing now you know we talked a little about cloud or are, are there other types of technologies or things that are kind of coming out that impact businesses maybe in ways they haven't really fully appreciated yet uh,
1: i think that number one problem really is in the privacy regulations right it is it is immediately impacting how they Collect, process, handle all of that data, and from a solution standpoint, they are being inundated with. uh, You know, there's an entire stack of privacy management solutions that are literally doubling and tripling by by the year. Um, IAPP, the the International Association of Privacy Professionals, puts out a report that shows just kind of you know where that privacy market is today. And you'd be hard-pressed to maneuver your way through there and understand what solving what problems, but more importantly, even understanding what your problems are. You you have all this data that you have been collecting and you have been processing, and, and you've been you've been trying to secure it. But now you equally have to to ensure the privacy of it, and those two coming together is creating a problem. The 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 real operational problem I see though is how do we operationalize privacy, right? So how do we make privacy operations part of what we do today? And I would argue that you know we've had we've had quite a bit of experience in, in security operations, right? And, and understanding the touch points to to information and customers and the and the protocols and process in place, the workflows, all those things are by and large in place. In, in a lot of our security operations. And and now we're going to need to inject privacy into that operations. And so how do we do it? Do we just wedge the P in there? We go from security operation centers to security and privacy operation centers? I, I would love that. I'd love to see Spox. right? Um, but But how do we do it is
0: the biggest problem I think we're seeing today. Yeah. And obviously, you know, a lot of it's being driven by, you know, you mentioned regulations like you know, we always had those things that were – I've always used kind of the examples of say, hey, look, you can either do something like HIPAA where the government can step in and do it or you can be more like PCI and, and kind of self-regulate. Where do you see a lot of this moving now? Obviously with CCPA coming in, I mean that's, that's straight up states that are coming and saying, look, we in, – in my mind, it, it makes sense a little bit from a political perspective because if you're going to say – What's something that I can get behind? Uh, there's toxic political... Hey, how about consumer privacy? I want you to make sure you're protecting the consumer data. I don't think they understand what they're articulating in their ask, but it sounds great on paper. So, you know, are we going to see more of this kind of come out where it's going to come either from a government mandate or do you think more of a self-regulatory type of scenario or both?
1: I think we passed the self-regulatory at this point. It's going to be government mandate. And you look at CCPA and it's a direct byproduct of of the frustrations that those legislature legislators saw with, uh, you know, every day there's another breach, there's another breach, and and it just becomes a numbing headline, and it's like, but why? And what are we going to do about it? And so, you know, we we've we had our opportunity to self-regulate. That that ship has sailed. So I think we will see more of the CCPA's. We've already seen. I think we're well past twenty odd um, copycat. Like, Yeah, yeah, in in states, right? So I don't think we'll see a, a federal level one, which may just make it even more challenging for us if there's this patchwork of privacy regulation. But I think CCPA will likely be the quote unquote gold standard for privacy regulation
0: yeah i guess you know some of the fears that i have with that is kind of becomes that patchwork of both state and federal regulations and international i mean more and more companies are doing some level of international work or even marketing to different folks in different states i mean if you're running an yeah. e-commerce store and you know you could be global um and what if you're doing education then you throw in some ferpa stuff i mean it can really get out of control you know how do organizations kind of solve that problem like what you know is 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 it hiring more of those people that understand the regulations? Is it converting technologists, or what? How do how do we fill that gap?
1: Yeah, let's, you didn't even sprinkle a little COVID on top of that, and have people all <laughs> remotely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like they remotely geographically too right so you know now it will become uh more attractive to hire people well pretty much anywhere on the planet right not that that wasn't always a practice by many but now we'll see that widen too. so sprinkle COVID on top of that problem and 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 that that taste just got a little uh a little worse um so what do we do I think I think you just nailed part of it which is we do have to enlist more people into into the ranks and that means that means pulling in uh that means pulling in lawyers that understand the problem, but also understand technology. Um, maybe not so shameless plug, but, you know, we run a podcast also and I've had a couple of lawyers on the show and they're all also technologists. We're talking about folks that, that have backgrounds in technology and also in privacy law. We're going to need more people like that in the industry as well. We're going to need more people that understand security technology and the real world problems. Then we're gonna to have to bring all those things together. Not just people that understand just security.
0: Yeah, it's funny. You know, you mentioned that. I, I my my prior positions running uh, data breach review teams. A lot of them were licensed attorneys, and they loved it because it was something other than your traditional litigation or contract stuff. There seems you know, there's no shortage of work when it comes to data privacy, and it nope. it seems to be a, a good path to encourage legal to. My well, like, experience, like, there's still you know we going back to like even talking about. Uh, e-discovery and litigation from 15, 20 years ago. Companies still, or, or companies, I'm sorry, um, law schools really weren't talking about that. Uh, you know, does does it start there where we get law schools saying, hey, look, there's a there's a path to success here or careers by doing data privacy and security? Yes,
1: I would love to see nothing more than a hybrid program where we we teach them some level of, of technology and security while they're also... Uh, uh, on their their journey to becoming a, a lawyer and I think I forget the name of it but there's a path that happens it's like an additional two years one can do after the JD that goes into different subject areas and maybe that's the place I'm the lawyer so I'm, I'm speaking a little out of turn here uh, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's the place where some of that could 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 live but I would I would wholly welcome and champion that type of effort
0: definitely you know one of the things we talked about before we even record was um, you know, we kind of talked about the uh, being part of the community and, and going to conferences, and it's it's sad not to be able to be on the road right now and go see people face to face. But how did you decide to kind of get involved with a lot of the the community, whether it be through speaking? You mentioned a podcast. What was your kind of drive to to give back?
1: I didn't get here by myself was the primary drive to giving back. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, joining some of those early groups that I did, there was a very rich community of learning where people spent a lot of time teaching me just some of the basics back then. And I do, I feel it necessary to pay that bit of it forward. Um, and, you know, I do that in, in some ways through through some mentorship on the side. I've got a handful of folks that, that I, I directly mentor. In other ways, it's just, you know, sharing what knowledge I have information wants to be free, right? Like as we've always said. Um, and so a lot of that is also my own curiosity. I know that I learned so much also from those interactions. Um, there's a lot to be learned from from others that are just even learning themselves from you, right? And so that that exchange of ideas and information is valu- It's invaluable to me. Um, and again, sitting at the head of an innovation table, if you would, it, it is it is impossible for me to be good at my at 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 my job, my function, if you would, without without also learning from others. And that means giving back and teaching too.
0: If you know I'm sure you get asked it occasionally or frequently, you know, for people starting in the industry, they say, you know, how do how do you get started? What's some of the advice that you give to people that are saying, hey, I want to get into cybersecurity, data privacy, where do you kind of steer them um, to get some of that information or ex- exposure. First
1: thing I try to do is get them to narrow that down because it is so big, right? Like depending on how you slice it, there are no less than 10 different domains of, of information security and we haven't even gotten into the privacy side of it as well too. Right. And, and you really want to kind of narrow that down. The, good news about it being that broad is it gives you the opportunity to really pair up your interests, things that excite you with problems you can solve. So that's the first place I share them is I, I try to walk through what really gets them excited in terms of, of, you know, the world problems, um, whatever it might be. And uh, and then see where we can match those things up to where there are problems to be solved in the security and privacy space. And then from there there's a wealth of resources that that, that we can start diving into, whether it's whether it's you know first just getting the basic understandings of of maybe a programming language or two to to kind of make things um, to kind of grease the skids if you would along that track if, if someone wants to go down a more technical path. Um, or if they they want to go down you know kind of more of a, a program management path. Or something. Thing, you know, getting them access to resources on those, on those sides, introducing them to some of the organizations out there, whether it's the ISACAs or the OWASP or whatever, getting them involved and plugged into other communities and introducing them to others that can equally help, you know, open doors, but, but shed light on, on their chosen topics. But step one is narrowing it down to something that really drives your passion. When, when you can combine those two things, when your passion and, uh, and your pleasure come together, then then it'll never be work will it
0: do you think there are particular areas you know we, again, we talked a little bit about some of the sculpture but you know there are there areas that are at least upcoming or now that we'd say you know that that could be some area where where folks can really either put a little more research and development or, or talent development in any particular area I mean, yes. Differential privacy comes to mind for
1: starters. From an academic standpoint, it is it is not a new concept. Um, you know, differential privacy has been around for a while. The application of it in the security world, however, is something where we certainly could put a lot more wood behind that arrow. Um, but then there's also some things that have been around forever. There's there's the data exfiltration problem that. That I don't think we've gotten anywhere close to solving for, uh, and we still try, in my opinion, to solve for it at the last mile in all the wrong places. Um, I recently gave a talk at InfoSec World on that very topic. So there are very there are very new problems that I think require fresh new looks at it, especially as we start pulling things out of academia. They've had long enough to bake in academia now, um, like differential privacy. Uh, and then there are problems that have just, we still haven't solved for them in ways that that are, well, quite frankly, actually fixing the, the, the issue and data exfiltration is one of those.
0: I thought you just put DLP in and it goes away. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: And that's my sixth circle of hell. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's uh, every
1: other security professional, for that matter.
0: Oh, <laughs> it is, it is because it, it really gets down to that that thing of contextual data. Um, it's a real hard problem. That's hey, that's that's the stuff that people take. <laughs> it's yeah. it's just, how do you protect against that? Well, Gabe, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Where can folks find you? Uh, find you on the interwebs.
1: Well, I appreciate it. So there are a couple of places you can find me. So you can find me at Gabriel Gums on Twitter. Um, you can also check out our Privacy Please pod, Privacy Please podcast. So you can find myself and Cameron Ivy there as well. And you, if you're looking for more information around uh, what we do over at Spirion from a data security data privacy standpoint, you can find us at Spirian, uh and www.spirian.com.
0: Awesome. I'll be sure to put all that in the show notes and hopefully, you know, we get to meet someday in person.
1: Yeah, that would be fabulous.
0: Do the hallway track. I'm missing the hallway track. Me too. Well, Gabe, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com, where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.